Good morning. So the first thing we want to make sure everybody has one of these worship guides. If you don't have a worship guide, you can put your hand up. We will make sure that you get one. We have some deacons coming down. I can make an airplane and shoot it out to you as well. Um, in here, there's a couple of important things here. We have our calibrate questions, which I'm not going to read today during my sermon, but um, you can follow along with that. There's some, some questions you can ask yourself or talk about maybe after lunch today. Uh, the other really important part here is the Connect card. Uh, if you have something that you need from our church, if you want to be more involved, um, if, you want, if you need prayers, fill that out. Where does it go, JFIT? In this box over here? Boxes either side right here. You can fill that out. Um, do we have a slide for, for the art of manliness? I just wanted to start today by uh, talking about the elephant in the room. I don't think we have. You have it on the back of your, of your card here. Um, can we just talk about uh, how awkward this, uh, this slide is? Because Eliah, I think it was Eliah, he came up with this and he said, well, what makes, what makes a man manly? And he said, I know, hair. <laughs> right? Under here, it's, it's hair. And now, and now he's out here saying, like, what, you guys don't have hair? I, Japheth certainly doesn't have hair. Um, and Tom Eichmann, who's preaching next weekend, doesn't have hair. And I'm getting there close as well. Um, the secret of the art of manliness. Here it is. I got it. That's the secret. I got it. And I don't know about you, but this pretty much sums up my attitude towards being a man. Doesn't matter what it is. I got it. Just ask my wife. You know, this is, what, this is what typical conversations sound like at our house. Um, honey, can you, can you shovel the snow? Sure, I got it. Can you take out the trash? Yeah, I, I got it. Uh, hey, did, did we just miss our turn back there? I think we're lost. I got it. I got it. Um, and this one happens quite often. Um, are, those, are those sirens and flashing lights back there for us? Yeah. But don't worry, I got it. Hey, Jim, I know you have a bad back and you walk around like all hobbled over, but could you pick up that refrigerator and put it in the basement? <laughs> sure, no problem. I got it. Doesn't matter what it is, right, guys? We got it. And that's what makes us a man. If we're honest, most of us men would say that to be a man, we need to have it all together. To be a man, we need to provide. To be a man, we need to protect. To be a man, we want to be strong. To be a man, whoa, the people around us, the spotlight, we need the spotlight. The people around us, especially the people we love, need to know that we've got it. And ladies, let me tell you, let you in on a little secret here. We don't always got it. And you guys are like, yeah, tell me something we don't already know. But we do need to be reminded, as men, we need to be reminded that we don't always have everything under control. We need to be reminded about who does got it all the time. We need to be reminded, subtly or not so subtly, about what God says it means to be a man. And in Acts 13, 22, we read this. He raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. 
So this series, The Art of Manliness, is about starting to understand how we too can be described like David as a man after God's own heart. Now some of you are thinking, and I won't say who, ladies, why a series just for men? Why leave the women out? And it's a fair question. And here's the answer. We aren't leaving the women out. Here's what I mean. Would anyone argue with me if I told you that men and women think differently? Of course not. Science has proven that women can think about and do more than one thing at a time far better than men. It's called multitasking. Not only are women better at thinking about more than one thing at a time, they are better at making connections between different ideas. So when I make, when I make a statement like this, men, you, are may, you may already acknowledge God in many areas of your life, but the areas where you attempt to restrict or ignore him will cause you grief. When I make that statement, even though I said it directly to men, most of the women in the room are able to listen to that statement, and even though I've said it directly to men, they're able to do the math. They can make the connection. Well, that's for me too. Men, not so much. Men can really only think about one thing at a time. At least if we're going to do it well, or really focus on it. There's a pastor out in, uh, in Wisconsin, Mark Gunger, who describes the way men think. He says like this, Men's brains are made up of a bunch of little boxes. We've got a box for everything. We've got a box for the car, a box for the money, a box for the job, a box for the wife, a box for the kids, a box for the mother-in-law, somewhere in the basement. And the rule is, the boxes don't touch. When a man discusses a particular subject, we go to that particular box, we carefully take out that box, we open that box, we discuss only what is in that box, then we close that box up and put that box away, being very, very careful to make sure that box doesn't touch any other boxes. Men can really only focus well on one thing at a time. The truth is, this series for men, on men, preached by men, but it's just as much for the women. When we talk directly to men, we know that you ladies can make the connections much smarter than us. But there's another reason we're doing a series for men. Men, when we actually talk to each other about something important, we talk differently. When we have something important to say to each other, we're very direct, right? It goes something like this. <clears throat> Sub, I have information for you. It's important. Here is the information. Done. That's it. And we're done. It's direct. I remember a particular conversation that I had with my dad. I was a senior in high school, and he pulled me aside, and he said, come on over here for a second. And he got real close to me, looked me right in the eye, and he said, son, I need to talk to you. I love you, but you're becoming a real arrogant donkey's behind, and it needs to stop. And he didn't use the word donkey's behind, if you can get my drift. And he doesn't talk that way, but it was direct. It wasn't subtle. It was important, and I listened. Sometimes men need to talk to other men to give them important information, and when we do, we just talk differently. So we have this series for men, and we have some information from the Bible to tell you about what God says it means to be a man. And like my father's conversation with me, 
it might be difficult to say, and it might be even more difficult to hear, but it's something that God has laid on our hearts. It's important. And we're going to look at four characteristics that God uses to describe a man. Four words that the Bible uses to describe a man after God's own heart. But first, I wanted to contrast what the Bible says it means to be a man. I wanted to look at some of the characteristics that the world and today's culture uses to describe a man. And so, of course, I got on the internet and I googled how to be a man in 2016. And here's what I got. The Goldman Sachs Guide to Being a Man. Now, this list was compiled by the men of Goldman Sachs. They're gentlemen. Um, and I think it's a pretty good example of what our culture is telling us it means to be a man. Our culture tells us through television and movies and magazines and the internet and social media, it's everywhere. So here's the list. Always carry cash. Keep some in your front pocket. It's okay to trade the possibilities of your 80s and 90s for more guaranteed fun in your 20s and 30s. Never stay out after midnight three nights in a row unless something really good comes up that night. When the bartender asks, you should already know what you want to drink. Hookers aren't cool, but remember the free ones are a lot more expensive. I, I didn't make this stuff up. When in doubt, always kiss the girl. Buy expensive sunglasses. Superficial? Yes. But so are the women judging you. Eat brunch with friends at least every other weekend, but leave Rusty and Junior at home. Be a regular at more than one bar. Act like you've been there before. It doesn't matter if it's in the end zone at the Super Bowl or on a private plane. Act like you've been there. No selfies. Aspire to experience photo-worthy moments in the company of beautiful women. Throw parties, but have someone else clean up the next day. And the last, one girlfriend at a time is probably enough. This list can really be boiled down to three words, the big three. Money, sex, and power, or self-reliance. So that's what the world says it means to be a man. But what about what God says is true? Here are four words that God says makes a man. Four characteristics of a man after God's own heart. Four words to describe the man who is chasing what it means to be a follower of Christ. And this is what we're going to look at over the next four weeks. Surrender, engage, lead, all. These four words describe the key to the art of manliness, according to God. And today we're kicking this series off by looking at a word that most of us would call the antithesis of being manly. Surrender. Personally, for me, this is not a word I would use when describing manliness. When I think of how to describe what, a make, what makes me a man, what makes me good enough in my eyes, the eyes of my wife, what makes me look strong in front of my boys, it just isn't on the list. No, for me, the list would typically look something like this. Self-reliance. I got it. I got it. I don't need anyone else. I got it. Success. I think money. It means having stuff. Strength. Muscles or brains or both. Clearly, I only have, well, I don't know if I have either. <laughs> but not muscles. And again, competence. I got this. This is about my abilities. And I'm ashamed to say that my list looks an awful lot like the previous list. Surrender is certainly nowhere on my list. But on God's list, it's the first one, the most important one. Surrender. 
It means to give up oneself up as into the power of another, to submit to the authority of another. Or you could define it like this, to agree to stop fighting, hiding, resisting, because you know you will not win. When I was 19 and a freshman in college, I signed up to go on a mission trip to, to Southeast Asia in Borneo. And the reason I signed up for it is somebody told me uh, that Borneo was the last place on the earth that had headhunters still. And I said, I thought to myself, well, that seems exciting, headhunters. And this is just a glimpse of, uh, into the mind of an 18-year-old boy. We're, we're not all that bright at that age. So off to Borneo and, and the headhunters I went. And the mission was with Adra, and they took us from the, the airport, and they took us out five, six-hour jeep ride, sweltering heat, bumpy jeep ride all the way out. When we got there, the first thing I did, first thing is I turned and faced the jungle, and I said, I got this. I didn't ask any questions. I didn't seek anyone's counsel on the dangers of the jungle. I didn't ask for wisdom. What I did do was grab a machete and march straight into the jungle. And I hadn't gone more than about 100 feet when I stepped in it, literally. Now, if you've never been to the rainforest anywhere in the world, you know that a rainforest has everything on steroids. Everything's bigger. The snakes are bigger. The bugs are huge. The plants are ridiculously huge. And as I entered into the forest, I, I walked through these plants that were about this tall. And I started hacking my way through. And I got through maybe 10, 30 feet, and all of a sudden the pain hit me. And I realized I just walked through a forest of stinging nettle. And they were big. They, it's not like this North Carolina stuff. <laughs> and if you, if you don't know what stinging nettle is, um, it's this beautiful lush green plant. But on the stalk and underneath the leaves, it has hypodermic needles sticking out of it. And as you go by it, these needles like stick into your skin. And I'd been hacking through this with just shorts and a t-shirt, and I've got these, these hair-like needles sticking, and they have toxins just pouring into my body. And the pain was excruciating. And of course, like any man, I did, I did what any man would do. I didn't tell anybody. I tried to cover up. I put some pants on, and I tried to put the anti-itch cream stuff that my mom had packed in my, my bag on. Um, none of it worked. And I was in so much pain. that people went to bed and started going to bed, I started to run. I would run, and I ran all night long because I wanted to give myself some other form of pain that, like, that could take my mind off of this. So 15 hours of pain later, I was ready to surrender. I was ready to give myself up, to give myself over to the power and authority of another. I was ready to stop fighting, hiding, and resisting. And so I did. I meekly went over to the, the director, who was a local to the area. Now the locals have wisdom, they have knowledge. They know that the right thing to do in this situation is they just go over to this little, this little weed that grows right next to the stinging nettle. And they pluck some of that and then they, they grind it all up and they just put the juice all over where the area is and, and the toxins are totally neutralized. And oh, the relief that came from that surrender. Now, when I look at the struggles I have in my life, the points of pain for those around me, I find they are always in the areas I haven't surrendered to God's teachings. I haven't sought his knowledge. What God says is true and best for my life. For me, those points of pain can look like a lot of things. Finances, spending too much, earning too little, wanting more than I need, willing to work too hard or not willing to work hard enough. Or other times it's just pure selfishness. 
how often do I let the things that I want or the things that I want to do come before what is best for my family? And I hang on to that and I hang on and, and, I, and I just ignore everything else because I want to do this thing to the detriment until I'd run my family right into a ditch. There's things in my, that I struggle with in the deepest part of my heart that I know are affecting that relationship with my wife and my kids. And yet I refuse to give it over to God. I refuse to submit myself to God's authority. And why would I do that? I can handle it. I got it. And if I believe in a higher power, and I do believe in a higher power, if I believe in a God who has created me, created me and knows that what is best for me, best for my life, best for my family, why would I not surrender everything to him? He only wants what is good for me. So why would I not give my stuff over to him? Why? I've said it already, because I'm a man, and for the most of my life, I've been proving to other guys, to the women in my life, to pretty much everyone around me, I've been proving that I've got it. But that's just me. But I know guys. I've been in classrooms with guys and on ball fields with guys and in gyms with guys and dorm rooms with guys in the workplace, and we're all trying to do the same thing. It's always a contest of who is stronger, faster, smarter. Bigger trucks, bigger house, bigger everything always trying to prove to everyone around us that we can handle our stuff. So let's get real for just a second. I remember, and I talked about the way guys talk to each other, when it's important, and this is important for me, and this is important for you. It's important for our families, it's important for this church and for this community. The Bible says that the art of manliness starts with surrender. God says a real man surrenders. And I want to define man here, because we all know that there are men that act like boys, and there's boys that have the maturity of men. But in my house, and my boys don't know this yet because they're still young, at 13 you become a man. Before 13 you're still learning, you're still growing. But before 13, yeah, they're, they're, they're a little bit young. But at 13, they start that journey of added responsibilities, of certain expectations placed on you. So I want to go with that definition today. If you're 13 to 103 in this room, I'm talking to you. And you're a man, I'm talking to you. And here's the question that I'm asking. Where in your life have you not surrendered to what God says is best? If you look at your life, are there areas where you are refusing to surrender to what God says is true? And I understand it. I get it. I get the pushback. It sounds completely self-righteous. Or maybe it sounds judgmental, like being a Christian man is really about just the stuff that I do or don't do. It's all about being good, but that's not it at all. It isn't about what we are doing. It's about what Christ is doing. And maybe... Maybe you've already acknowledged God in many areas of your life, but the areas where you attempt to restrict or ignore God, where you refuse to surrender to Him, will cause you grief, and they will cause, cause others pain. And the reality is that it's easy to surrender some things to God, and others, the hard ones, the difficult ones, the, thing we, the things we want to keep on doing. God, I'll go to church more. I'll give more money to the poor, but with some things, we just want God to butt out. Don't tell me what to do. 
Some things are just easier to surrender than others. And maybe you're one of those 13-year-old boys in this room, and it's easy to say, God, help me with the language I've been using at school. But the relationships you have with your parents, maybe you feel like their rules are too restrictive. You want to do it yourself. Or it's easy to ask God for, to, for help fixing a broken friendship, but mom and dad's divorce, you've been trying to pick up the pieces of what is left of your family you knew back together again. All on your, your own, it's not going all that well. It's easy to help, ask, help for God to ask you to find a girlfriend. And now that it's gotten physical, you aren't so interested in what God has to say. Maybe you find it easy to seek God's wisdom when it comes to prepping for a chemistry exam. But your group of friends at college really know how to party and you just can't manage to be not drawn into that lifestyle. And now God's wisdom is pretty inconvenient. I think it's easy to ask God to help you kick a bad habit like swearing when you're driving on the highway. But dealing with your prescription drug addiction just seems too big. God, help me spend a little more time in prayer is easier than admitting to God that the special friendship you've developed at the office is keeping you from a healthy relationship with your wife. Or God, I'm giving you my issues with my rude neighbor next door is way easier than surrendering the fact that you can't stop getting on the internet, fantasizing on with pornography. Admitting that is tough. It's easier to seek God in helping decide on a new job than it is to seeking his wisdom when I'm choosing between chasing more money or being a better husband and father. And it's certainly easier to surrender the fact that you are just a bit lazy than it is to admit to God that the path of destruction you have created in your marriage because of your unwillingness to do what God says is right and true. That's hard. And on and on and on. Whatever it is that's going on in my life, in your life, all of our lives, and I know this makes many of us uncomfortable. But let me make something very clear. I'm not here judging you. God has already made it clear that you are forgiven. We just celebrated his grace through the cross last weekend. But the truth for all of us, not just men, but it's certainly true for men. And I'm going to personalize this. Men, most of your problems, most of the struggles that you are having in your own life or causing in others comes because you refuse to surrender yourself to what God has asked you to do or not to do. Just look back over the history of your life and you can see where you've let go of God and try to do it on your own. And most of us in this room have called ourselves a Christian for a long time. If you're like me, you've called yourself a Christian your whole life. And that's awesome. It's great. But it's also dangerous. It's dangerous because it's easy to listen to a sermon like this and start to nod your head and agree with me and then begin to think about the application and, and apply it to non-believers. Or I hope so-and-so is listening to this. Or I sure wish my father or son or brother were, were here to listen to this. The danger is in, in thinking I've been a Christian my entire life equals surrender. Or I come to church every week equals surrendering to God. The really tough stuff. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. Whatever you use to tell yourself that you have it under control, I got it. And you know how I know you've got something like that? Because you're human. 
And to my knowledge, there's really only ever been one person that didn't have sin to deal with. Only one person that didn't have stuff that hurt and destroyed lives. Only the one. And the good news is that you and I are not the first to struggle with stuff. King Solomon, the second wisest man ever to live, learned the best way to deal with his stuff, with his struggle. So turn with me to Proverbs 3, 5 to 8, and in your Bibles there in your pew, it's on page 340. It's also up on the screen here. This is what Solomon says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. Not holding anything back. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. There it is again. All your ways. And he will make straight your path. The result of our surrender is his goodness in our life. And be not wise in your own eyes. Our tendency to say, I got it. I got it because I'm competent. I got it because I'm strong. I got it because I'm smart. Whatever it is. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It'll be good for your entire person. Your relationships, your heart, your mind. Surrender. It's the first step in the art of manliness according to God. I keep saying surrender. To give oneself up as into the power of another, to submit to the authority of, or power of another. And the first word in our text today tells us exactly what we're doing when we surrender. It's called trust. I, I've played a, this game with my boys for a long time. Not that long, they're not that old. I pick them up and I stand them on top of the refrigerator. And then I stand back a little bit and I ask them to, to jump to me. And the first time I do it, they're kind of like, Ooh, I'm not so sure. And then they kind of just will topple over and have me catch them. Once they realize I'm going to catch them, every time, they just start launching themselves out into the abyss of the kitchen. And they know I'm going to catch them, that I'm always going to be there. But I've noticed that that trust only lasts for so long. The older they get, the more they start to rely on themselves. They start leaning on me and start leaning more on themselves. The same is true for us men. Surrender to God and trusting that his intentions for us are good is difficult, especially at first. But we have to start. We have to start, and the more times we surrender and lean our lives, just like the text says, don't lean, your, your, don't lean on your own understanding, lean on God. The more we lean on our lives, our lives and pain and struggle in God and find that he holds us up, that he catches us, it is then that we realize why this is the first step to becoming a godly man. Without trust in him, nothing else matters. King David, the man that God describes as a man after his own heart, says a similar thing in Psalms 37, 5 through 7. Commit your way, every situation of your life, to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth. It's nothing that you are doing. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Just be still. 
There isn't anything you need to do except surrender. And fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Don't worry about other people. This is between you and God. And again, it's surrender and complete trust, giving ourselves over to the power of another. This isn't easy. Our human nature doesn't want to let go of self, to give ourselves to the authority of another. It's hard. But Jesus, when he was here on earth, gave us the ultimate example of surrender just before his death. In Matthew 26, just before he was to be betrayed and crucified, he finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it reads like this. Then he said to his disciples, he brought his friends with him, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He didn't want this. He didn't want this pain. He didn't want that struggle. And he went back and his disciples are sleeping. You know the story. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, this cannot pass until I drink it. Your will be done. And again, he went back, and they're still asleep. And he went away a third time, and he asked God the same thing. Please take this away from me. I don't want this pain, this struggle. Surrendering your life isn't easy, especially to another person. It's hard. In fact, as a man, this might be the hardest thing we face. We spend, we've spent a lifetime learning that real men never surrender. I mean, just think about everything you've learned just from these few famous statements here. There's no such word as can't. The, hardest you work, the harder you work, the harder it is to surrender. A winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. If at first you don't succeed, what? Try, try again. We all want to keep holding on. We all want to keep fighting. There was a soldier, a commando in the Japanese ar army in 1944. He was sent to a remote island in the Philippines. <clears throat> and as a commando, his mission was to conduct guerrilla warfare against the Allied forces. Before he left, his commanding officer told him, whatever happens, stand and fight. Death is preferable to surrender. And less than three months into his deployment, the American forces came in and they overran the island. And they won the battle. And, and outside of that arena, the whole entire war had been won at that point. But Onada and three other men escaped into the jungle. And they kept fighting. For months they kept fighting. And they kept evading search parties that they thought were enemy scouts. And then leaflets started to be dropped, saying, hey, the war is over. And newspapers were left, and photographs, and letters from relatives were dropped. But they always found a reason to not believe, to not surrender. As the years passed, one of, one of the men decided, I'm giving up, I'm done. And he walked away. Two others were killed in a shootout with police. Now alone, Onoda continued to live on the run. He lived as if the battle was still raging. Onoda could have been living with all the goodness that freedom can hold, but he still continued to fight. He refused to surrender. At long last, the Japanese sent his former commanding officer to the island to give him orders to stand down, and a meeting was set. When he returned to meet his old commander, he arrived in what was left of his dress uniform 
with his sword still strapped, his still working rifle and 500 rounds of ammunition and hand grenades. And Major Taniguchi, his, his commanding officer, read the orders aloud. Japan had lost the war and all combat activity was to cease immediately. After a moment of quiet anger, he took his gun and he unloaded all the bullets and he took his pack off and he put it down. He had finally surrendered after 29 years of fighting. When the reality of what he had done, what he had lost, hit him, he fell to his knees and wept. And in many areas of our lives, if we're honest, we are still fighting what God has asked us to do or not do. So what are you still fighting? What in your life needs to be surrendered? Perhaps today you need to hear Jesus loud and clear, telling you that the war is over. It's time to stop fighting. Enough is enough. Regardless of what you've been told, regardless of what you see around you to the contrary, Jesus stands victorious and can be trusted. It's time to stop fighting. It's time to surrender. So what do we do now? How do we move forward? When we get in our cars and go home, what does it look like? Because it's not enough to just come and listen and nod our heads. It's not enough. The whole point of this men's series is to chase after what God says, to pursue what the Bible says it means to be a man after God's own heart. So now what? One of my favorite books from my childhood is C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's a scene in the book where Peter comes on this scene and his sister is being chased by a, a, a wolf, Wolf Fenris. And he's chased her up the tree. And he comes on the scene and he sees her and she's frightened to death. And he, he looks down and he, he's just received gifts, a sword and a shield. And he realizes he is faced with a decision at this point. I'm going to either go and save my sister or I'm not. There's only two options. So there she is, up the tree, about to faint, wolf snapping at her feet, and, and this is how Lewis describes Peter's decision. Peter did not feel very brave. Indeed, he felt he was going to be sick. But that made no difference to what he had to do. That made no difference to what he had to do. And you know what that's called? Courage. It's called courage when we do what needs to be done, regardless of the consequence, regardless of the excuses, regardless of the fear, regardless of what we want to do or not do, that's called courage. And it's what we see here in this story, and it's what we saw in the story of Jesus in the Gethsemane. Jesus didn't want to go through with it. He said, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. I don't want it. But that made no difference to what he had to do. God says that the first step in the art of manliness, the first step to becoming a, God after man, a man after God's own heart is to surrender. So men, listen. There is a responsibility and an expectation to have the courage to do and say what needs to be done and said. And what needs to be done and said? Whatever it is that God is telling you to do. So here's the question for you. What is it you are holding on to? What is it you haven't surrendered to God? You probably don't even have to think too hard about it, right? When you, when you stop to think about it, it's right there in front of your head. If you ask what area of my life is restricting or I'm restricting or ignoring or just flat out refusing to surrender to what God says is true, you probably know what it is, 
because you've spent the last week or month or year or five years or maybe you've spent the entire lifetime fighting that battle. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you if you have the courage to actually apply this to your life. Somewhere on your chair is a little white flag. And I want you to pick one up. And this is for everyone, not just for men, because it's important for everyone. The white flag is a symbol of what? Surrender. Doesn't matter where you go in the world, that's the symbol of surrender. I want you to hold this symbol in your hands and ask yourself and the Holy Spirit, what is it in my life that I need to surrender? And maybe, you, maybe some of you have a whole list, but I just want you to pick the one right now that God is speaking to your heart, talking to you about right now. And then I want you to go home and I want you to put this little flag by your bedside or in your kitchen or in your bathroom where you get ready for work or in your car and use that as a reminder to reach out to God. Every time you see that, reach out to God and say, God, I, I can't do this myself. And guys, it starts with us. We are the ones that have to lead in this. We have to be the ones to go first, to surrender and show the way to our families. We have to go first and make it clear who we are leaning our life on. And I'm almost finished. But before I end, before we pray for all the men in this church and for the women in this church, I'd love it if you just take a moment with me and dream and imagine. Imagine what would happen if every man in this room from 13 to 103 would surrender whatever it is that's keeping them from a closer relationship with God. I would think about what would happen in my family if I surrendered everything to Jesus and Jesus became the leader of my home. Men, imagine what your family would look like if you did the same thing. How would your relationships change with your wives, with your kids? Kids, how would your relationships with your mom and dad look different? What would this church look like? What would happen to this church if every single man here today without any excuses chose to be courageous and surrender their life to God? to commit to only chase after what God says is right and true? What would happen here in this building, in our relationships with each other, in this community? Imagine how our community might feel differently when they look at a, our church and instead of seeing men, all they see is Jesus. Imagine, imagine the trust that brings. Imagine the healing that provides. Imagine the hope. Imagine the love we could experience if we would only surrender. Let's pray. Father God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to go home with us, to work on our hearts, to help us surrender everything to you, but especially that thing that we're holding on to, God, that keeps us further from you, that keeps us furthest from you. And I ask a special blessing on every man in this room that as they go home, they have the strength and the courage to reach out to you and surrender. We love you so much. Amen. May Jesus bless you with a gentleness and a heart.
that is tender. May Jesus bless you with strength against all principalities. May Jesus bless you with compassion and care. May Jesus bless you with courage, daring to be who you are. May Jesus bless you with openness, understanding, and respect. May Jesus bless you with power to make Jesus all. 